millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi, this is Jim White, and thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. On today's episode, has the European Super League concept once again reared its head? Myself and Simon clash over the viability of the project after its backers announced their new, more inclusive version. And former Paralympic champion Tani Gray-Thompson joins us to discuss the growing calls for Russian and Belarusian athletes to be banned from the Paris Olympics. Here it comes again. The backers of the European Super League have revealed their new version. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, all understood to have contacted more than 50 clubs in the hope of creating a new European tournament. A22 Sports Management, the company behind the Super League project with the three rebel clubs. Their chief executive is Bernd Reichardt and he's just released this video. Last October, we began an open dialogue on the future of European club football. Since then, we have spoken to nearly 50 European clubs and other stakeholders. The vast majority of them share the assessment that the very foundation of European football is under threat. It is time for change. European club football is at a tipping point. Huge imbalances have emerged across the continent and clubs with glorious European traditions are no longer able to compete. Clubs bear all entrepreneurial risks, but too often are forced to sit on the sidelines when key decisions are made and they are watching their sporting and financial foundations crumble. And our discussions have made clear clubs are often unable to publicly speak up against a system where the threat of sanctions is used to stifle opposition. Later this year, the Court of Justice of the European Union will rule on the legality and the compatibility of the wafer monopoly with the fundamental freedoms, principles and values of the EU. Their decision will impact not only football, but all European sports. Our objective is to present a sustainable sporting project for European club competitions, available at a minimum to all 27 EU member states. Today, we present the preliminary results of the first phase of our dialogue, which has been honest, direct and constructive. And there are clear conclusions about the need for change and the building blocks of how to achieve it. We have distilled the consistent feedback into 10 principles, which should set the framework for a future European club competition. Clearly, there is more work to be done and the dialogue will continue. We are now entering the decisive phase 
for the future governance of European club football. Gee whiz, why'd you do it properly in the first place then? My palms and my hands are getting sweaty. So we've gone from the six Premier League clubs here in England getting involved with the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus to this, a new Super League, a competition made up of 60 to 80 teams with no permanent members and a minimum of 14 games per club per season. That's where we're at. What did you make of old Reichardt and what he was telling well, us there? What I made of it, it was a lot of it had some sense in it. A lot of it was self-serving nonsense. You're not doing it. 822 are not doing it because they want the well-being of football clubs. They're doing it because they know that tournament football makes an inordinate amount of money and they're going to profit from it. They're also not doing it from the position of looking after the best interests of all the major clubs in England, in, in Europe, sorry, because if they're talking about the 27 EU member states, then obviously English clubs aren't going to be able to have a part of that conversation, are you? Because we're not in the EU anymore. Oh, yeah. Thanks, um, thanks to look, you and Nigel. And the <laughs> look at the reality. Thanks to 52% of the country. Get on with you. it. Um, but um, looking at the arguments that he advances, yeah. whoever said and accepted that UEFA were a force for good, whoever's accepted the monopoly of UEFA because ultimately what he's saying is that UEFA monopolise what you can and can't do in European football. Whoever asked for this? A new competition made out of 60 to 80 teams. Can you you imagine some of the imposters we're going to get in that lot? Whoever asked for... First of all, football needs to keep on generating itself and evolving. It's Bruges against Arsenal. Wow. Can't wait for that. Did you hear some of the observations that he made? Well, there'd be an audience for it. You'd have to watch it. Just because you don't want to watch it doesn't mean that the audiences and the TV broadcasters can't monetise it and ultimately the football clubs can't benefit from it. But That's how can you argument. take any of this lot seriously? How can you take a because word that comes out of that guy's mouth after what it became last time well, around? Well, what it became last time round, and that's where they lose some credibility, is I always believe if you go into a deal, what you do is you whack your opponent, right? And if they don't whack you back, then you roll all over them, right? And if they do whack you back, then you've got an adversary that you're going to have to deal with on a different level. They may have put forward their very worst-case scenario to be able to soften people's mentality up to the reality of what's a more achievable outcome, and now they're coming around at it from a proper position. I do understand some of their thinking from the first instance. They're basically saying all these core businesses that are going to generate this revenue, they are the main beneficiaries. They are the main reasons why Premier League rights are sold around the world. They're not sold because Burnley are in the Premier League. They're not sold because Crystal Palace are in the Premier League. They're sold because Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham. Oh, I know. I, I get that. So that it, well, initially, it was for the elite. So, that, so, that, so then what happens is, is, right? let's get this hysteria out of the way. Get rid of the lack of meritocracy. Get rid of the elitism of simply the legacy clubs going in there. Where's the problem? What? To this? To anything that was suggested How by the European... How can you go from a closed shop of 12 clubs to an open allowed... competition made up of 60 to 80 teams? Well, I would have thought you of all people would have turned around and said, in your classic journalistic parlance, it's a U-turn. Because they're U-turning away from the things that people found unpalatable and they're turning into a collective situation where more people benefit as a result of it. Where's the problem? They're saying what you want to hear. I mean, this, this, no. this obvious, they've gone into a little dark room. Well, you can't And they thought, right, first time around, didn't fancy it. Well, they can't it. win then, can the, they? The fans of their own clubs turned on it. They didn't fancy it. Come on, what can we think of they, now? I tell you what, let's up we the ante. 60 to 80 by teams. By that logic. We'll still call it the new Super League. Uh, no permanent members, but a minimum of 14 games per club. So, Just get them to play a so hell of a so, lot more games. So, and there's a heck of a so, lot more teams So let's competing. get this right, right. They can't win in your eyes, right? As far as you're concerned, right? It ain't broke, so why fix well, it? So who says the Champions League isn't broke? Who said that the UEFA... You, you you're have, kidding. Who says... Hang on. Who says that UEFA are the only game in town... That's called a monopoly. You understand what a monopoly is, don't you? Of course I do. Right, so that, that, with that in mind, why are you happy... It's with a board your, game. 
Why are you, you happy? With your <laughs> Why are you happy with a monopoly from one entity in a Swedish part? Sorry, in a Swiss part of the world, where we never get to see behind the curtain like FIFA and UEFA. All we get to hear is the way that they operate. Then they start they start changing the Champions League. Did you complain about when the Champions League became but what it is now? The, what's up with the Champions League in its present state? Because things can evolve, things can improve. Yeah, yeah. What's up with the Champions League right now? Well. I didn't say there was anything up with it. But there why you go. It, but so why, we don't need this touch. So what was up? So what was up with certain aspects of football that didn't get better as a result of change? You would have been one of those people sitting there going, "Well, we don't want to go from two points to three, right?" And when they do, when they prove the concept, it works. When you talk about the Premier League, all those naysayers, all those David Deans, oh, I created the Premier League. Well, you were trying to sell it to ITV. You had no vision for Sky. Remember and the all last these- time? The last time we said to the Super League, "No, go away and don't come back." No, I didn't say that. So here's only the deal. silly people said that. No, no, no. Well, you you didn't say that to your credit, uh, and and I agree, you didn't say that. But many of the fans said, "Now nah, we don't want this because we don't want because this. they were fed a stable diet by hysterical, so ill-informed media so that was suggesting we've got a very that chirpy German. But they do want us, it. This is what you can say. But they do want consider. it. They do want football to evolve. They do want other competitions. Everybody knows that competitions is the life. Why was Arsene Wenger running around? But, toot, 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 I said it to you a for two, ago, two though, World Cups every if four it's years. Not broken. Why fix it? Then why? Everybody wants to be in the Champions League. Why? Because it is the competition for the the elite. What what is the biggest problem in football right now? Besides disingenuity and people getting paid far too much money for what they actually don't do. Lack of finances. Lack of fair distributions. Lack of equitability. If you can bring more money to the game and there's a a distributive benefit to everybody... Oh, that's why they're doing it, is it? No, they're doing it to make money. of benevolence. Oh, okay, so let me get this right. UEFA are doing it because they've got the best interests of football in concern. Oh, what a load of old pony. They're doing it because they are a monopoly and a cartel and they should be challenged. Now, in that challenge, do you think UEFA should say, that's the end of the discussion. No more involvement, only what we say. You can't possibly advocate for that. No, they should but, be utterly challenged. Yeah, but let's come into the, the, the realms of reality here. The, to be quite honest, from what it was to what well, they're proposing... be a for a journalist from, to be in. From what it was to what they're proposing now... Oh, it's I gone mean, from talk please, to for God's sake, you've gone from one extreme to another in the space of months. And, and, and Go what, away. And what will the happen? The Champions League's what terrific. Will happen, what will happen is, do you know what determines the outcome in the end? Market forces. Mm. Not you... Not me. No. The desire for it. I didn't realise there was this benevolent sprinkling of money everywhere. So what lead two clubs going to benefit from all of this then? Well, that is the key component of the mechanisms that need to be structured to suggest uh-huh. that distributive benefit... Let me answer that for you. None. Oh, no, that's not true though, is it? Mm. But it's not true though, is it? Because the, the, the redeployment of, of money in Scotland as a result of teams being in the Champions League finds its way down the pyramid. So there is a distributive benefit. You just don't know what it is. Mm. I do. Do you think Chief Exec... Oh, you do? I do. Does Bernd Reichardt know? Oh, I'm sure he does because part of his ability to sell this shtick, right? This shtick, shtick, yes, is that ultimately he's trying to be everything for everyone. Some of what he said is pious, self-serving drivel. Some of it is actually on the money. Who are UEFA? Who decided they were going to run the game? What have they done to benefit it besides ultimately create a cartel and a monopoly? Aren't they trying to introduce teams into their own tournament that are based upon legacy and coefficients? Yeah. yeah. Come on now. Okay. Let's have competition. Salty, you're right, mate. Get some reversing lights fitted to Simon this morning. Absolutely. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Tune in. Turn up your hearing aid. Hard edged, hard nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In another field of discussion altogether, you I know you have your own stance and your, your, your own thinking process about politics and sport. I do. But these days it's hard to split the two, is it not? Now we hear Olympic chiefs in Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway are calling for athletes from Russia and Belarus to be banned. Straight banned from competing in the Olympics Paris 2024. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania also against their neighbours in Russia and Belarus from being allowed to compete as neutrals. The mayor of Paris has U-turned saying, no, forget them competing under a neutral flag. I think we're looking at a ban considering the war in Ukraine an illegal war is still ongoing. So when it comes down to it, where are we then in the UK with this? Just before we came on air, I spoke to GB Paralympic legend, member of the House of Lords, Tanny Gray Thompson. I said, we know what's going on in other countries. What's your stance on this? It's all a really complicated one. I mean, I think everybody knows that the Russian athletes competing under neutral flag. They're Russians. It doesn't change where they come from. I mean, I think it's been very interesting that sort of when Putin invaded Ukraine, that he waited until the the Winter Olympics were over. So the sport and politics are inextricably linked. You know, for Putin, having Russians competing at the highest level, it will get badged in a way that will be used politically. So I do have a massive amount of sympathy for the athletes because they're kind of the pawns in the political game. But um, I think as a, not just the political world, but the sporting world needs to be much clearer on where that line is drawn. There's not an easy answer in this, but I think we have to stop pretending that competing under a neutral flag, it somehow changes it because it actually doesn't. I think they should either be in or not in, not sort of blurring the edges. Do you think, Tani, that we could be closer than ever to a multi-country boycott at the Olympics? I think we could be. And, you know, for the cities hosting the Games, a boycott, it's really difficult because everything they're, they're trying to do and put the games together is based on it being a worldwide event. The ones that miss out are athletes in, in terms of competing. But actually, anyone who says sport and politics isn't linked, I do smile because sport and politics is linked. The, the medal table is politics. It's who's the best you know, country in, in the world. So I, I think you have to just try and find a, a way through this. And, um, you know, in terms of sanctions, I think the worry for some of the major organisations is that Russia will just go off and do its own thing 
and still have its sporting idols on Russian TV. It doesn't necessarily have to be the Olympics, but maybe we have to question, you know, what's bigger, you know, trying to find sort of peace through through this horrendous situation or find a sporting solution through it. And, and over the years, sport has been able to nudge politicians. It absolutely has. You know, maybe there's a chance to do something to do sport to kind of sort this out. You've been there and you've done it for this country on the sporting stage. Would it be unfair to ask Team GB to boycott? I think it's really hard for athletes to boycott. I think probably a lot are politically aware and will make their own choices. I think if, if athletes choose not to go, then it's really important that they're not penalised for that because actually, you know, athletes' performances determine an excess of funding. I think as a country, it's a really big statement to make and it doesn't always work. You know, actually, the whole point of a boycott would be to get Putin and, and Russia to shift to a different position. And rather than just making a, a virtual signaling statement that they're going to boycott, it actually has to at least try and bring about meaningful change. So the short answer is I'm always really reluctant to, to ask athletes to boycott, but they have to be helped and supported to make the best decision for them. Uh, thank you so much to Tanya Gray Thompson. She had a busy morning ahead of her and she took time out to have a chat with me there. Simon, you know, the, the IOC say Russia uh, should compete under a neutral flag, but now they're lining up against that. Other nations taking a harder line. No, forget your neutral flag. Rip that up. Ban them. Ban the athletes from competing in the Olympics. Sweden is saying that. Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Now the UK is thinking, do you know what? Maybe we should, yeah, forget the neutral flag bit. Let's go the whole way. Ban them. Ban them. Ban them. Why do you not find yourself in that camp? Well, I do in the instance of, a, of a representing... I think the you idea... Don't, you oppose a ban? No, I oppose a ban for individual Russian or former Russian citizens or Belarusian citizens that have no relationship with their countries anymore, that are, that are you know, denationalised, gone to live in America, playing in tournaments like Wimbledon, being able to play, when the only thing that relationship they had with Russia was once upon a time they had a Russian passport. When you're going into something like the Olympics where you are specifically... If Victoria Azarenka is playing tennis, she's playing for Victoria Azarenka, She's not playing for Belarus. She's going into a tournament to play for herself. If you're well, going, she represents a country. Well, she doesn't. She represents herself. When, 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 well, whose flag is she playing under? Well, that's the flag that people choose to denote. But she's not going in there as a Belarusian citizen. She's going in she there. She is. Well, she's not. She's going in there. First of all, she lives what, in America. What flag is alongside her name when you see Azarenka but, but, is playing but so not, and so? But with due respect, there's no necessity for the media to put up flags if they don't want to. The, Olymp- but let me the Olympics is all about competing yeah, but, nations. But, but, but I, and that's fine, which is where we Venn diagram into some form of agreement. Right? I don't necessarily concur with the view that everything is politically motivated. I don't concur with the view that the political landscape is influenced by Russian athletes performing at a sports event because the civilised world is vilifying the Russians. Russian people will have their own view on their leader and make their own decisions, and very little that's going to be done on a sporting field is going to change that. Now, I understand why it is leveraged, but everything gets leveraged into this slippery slope methodology in the media. Oh, if we do that, they get political currency out of it. They get political currency out of it with with whom and by what? Because the whole world is not legitimising anything the Russians are doing. So with that in mind, I question the validity of the idea that it's politicised to the advantage of the Russians. What I do concur with is the notion that we delegitimize everything the Russians do by putting a pressure point down on them. And that becomes more prevalent when you've got a situation where people are fundamentally, undeniably representing Russia. They go into an Olympics under the auspice of being Russian. 
and being representing their country. You right. don't go you don't go to the Olympics to represent yourself. You go to represent your country and you compete in a competition that's ultimately representing your country. When you're playing as an individual tennis player or golfer or footballer or boxer, you may happen to have that relationship with your country because of your passports, but you're not going in there to represent them. You're going in there specifically to represent yourself. So in this instance, I understand the argument of banning them. I understand the reasons why the US boycotted the 1980 Olympics because of the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. I understand the stance they took there because America feels it's the world's policeman. In this instance, I concur with the reasons why there's a ridiculousness of talking about neutrality. They just simply, you're going in representing a country. The whole the whole auspice of the Olympics is countries are represented. Really? Well, so you can't then the repackage it as a neutral situation. So that's, that's the, so that's the reasons why I say, in this instance, I actually agree with the notion that Russia, or the neutral rebadging of Russia, cannot feature itself in an Olympics that's primarily about... You don't, have a, you don't have a medals table for the individual athletes, do you? You have a medals table for the USA, for the UK, for Japan, for Russia, for Peru. It's listed by country. So with that in mind, you are absolutely representing the country, irrespective of if you badge it up as neutrality. Right, so you, you think it's ridiculous for anyone to compete under a neutral flag? I think that doesn't work. I that think doesn't that, work? No. So what does work? I think they should, in this instance... When Don't we talk, allow them to compete. In this, yes, but when, I'm, when, when, when we take it down to micro level and you're talking about individuals that have no relationship with that country, have no allegiance to Putin, because once upon a time, the way for these individual athletes to get out of it was to ultimately sign their own death warrant by giving some ridiculous statement in, def, in, 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 in terms of they have nothing to do with, with this, that and the other and they condemn the Russian Empire and whatever else whilst leaving their families in moral peril. Or in, in so, actual peril, sorry. So have you come out... You you seem to have done a U-turn in this somewhat. No, are, you, are you now agreeing with the likes of Alexander Yusik, who's urged the IOC to not allow Russian athletes to compete under a neutral banner in Paris next year because the medals, any of them will win, be, will be quotes, well, medals I, of blood. I haven't done a U-turn. I have always said that I see the argument of the Olympics because of the point I've just put forward. Alexander Usyk, with the greatest respect to him, is overfighting in Saudi Arabia whilst they're dropping bombs on Yemen. So let's have it right about where you will set your position. I let's, understand let's why you've it, got a voice in this. Let's have it right where you are at the moment. You're now saying, forget the neutral flag, that's a nonsense. You can't compete at the Olympics under a neutral flag. So that's not on. So whereby they can't now compete under a neutral flag and they can't be Belarusian and they can't be Russian, yeah. there's no place for them. Well, that, so, But if you listen to what I've been saying is for that some your, time... Is that where you're at my, now? My position has always been individual athletes. Last year, my position was I understood the backdrop of a new war and a new situation and the reasons why we were unsophisticated in our thinking and everybody that ever had anything to do with Russia, from Tchaikovsky being played at the Cardiff uh, Opera House down to Russian athletes or Belarusian athletes, needed to be banned at that moment in time. Then when you peel it back and go, well, hang on a second, let's look at some of these athletes They've got no relationship with Russia beside a passport. And ultimately... they Beside a passport? But, but hang on, come on. They, Place they, of birth. Well, sh fine, Jim. But the bottom line is, is that that, that, that is something... You're, that you, it's an immutable situation that you can do nothing about as an individual. But you don't get that opportunity to suggest that competing in a, in a specifically and explicitly country-represented sporting event, it's undeniable that you're representing the country. And if right. you rebadge so it... So Wimbledon's ban on Russian athletes, on Russian players... Where are you at with that? But um, I, I've explained to you where I'm at with that. You I disagree not, with it? I do not believe that individuals, and neither do the USA, and neither do the French, and neither do the Australian, I believe, have stopped these players. Clearly haven't, because Victoria played in, in the Australian Open. So none of these countries have that view on an individual micro level, but extrapolate it up, and I've been consistent on this, that I understand the argument 
about countries not being able to be flagged up and badged up and put into Olympics and then rebadging it as neutral, we all know what neutral represents. Right. We know why they're being called neutral. So the next step is to ban them. From the Olympics? Correct. Yes, yeah. I agree. But I've always agreed with that. Yeah. I don't agree with the individual athletes. You can shake your head, Luke. Go back and look at the audio. I do, I've always agreed with that. But I do not agree with, in, with, the individual, with, with individual athletes being banned from tournaments They're where they are... individual athletes in the Olympics. If, the, if you want, ask me another question, should those athletes be able to play in the Davis Cup? No, because it's the same thing. But the individual athlete playing, because Davis Cup is a country. You're representing your country. You're spe specifically indexing yourself to the country. If you're a Russian person that's no longer living in that country, moved to somewhere else in the world, has nothing to do with that country besides an immutable situation where you were born under that passport, mm. I don't think that particularly passes the sniff test. For the ban them all, ban the Tchaikovsky gang, yes, of course I get it. That's why they would say it. But I agree with the idea, and I agree with what Tani has said about the challenge of allowing them into the Olympics and the neutrality side of things. Well, that's just a repositioning. So but here's again, the thing: I question the idea. We've got right politics need to be in this. No, I'm, Russian, said, Belarusian athletes should they be competing in Paris in the Olympics? No, but they're not competing as individuals. They're competing for their country. That's the reason why that argument becomes the argument that's sustainable. If they're competing at an individual You'd tournament, ban them. You'd ban all I Russian would ban, and, I would and ban Belarusian Russia. athletes. Russia or its derivative, which is neutral. So Russia equals neutral. We know it does. It yeah. equals neutral. And so if the, they're not, and if they're not banned, should countries boycott the Olympics? Ah, well, this is the bigger question because we know how little people have for substance when it comes down to actually having some skin in the game, when they've got to do something that compromises their position. So, yes, if you want to shout from the rooftops about the fact that the IOC should follow your particular direction, Finland, Lithuania, Sweden, yeah. if they don't, which I'm sure they will, but if they don't, what are you prepared to do then? Are you prepared to boycott? Because that's what comes with having a strong position on something. It comes with some sacrifice and mm. some consequence. The Americans did it. In 1980, refused to go to, uh, to Moscow and, and, and compete in the um, Moscow Olympics because of the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. So the other countries will have to take that stance if the IOC... Putin, we hear, is talking about accelerating the invasion. That's why they should be banned. Kick them out now, and other countries yeah, should align but we are going and about get same rid point. of them. We are going to, we are going to the same point. Yeah. But, but I've taken it off on a different piece about individuals, but we're in the same place. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.